0: This is Joy in Crisis, a 13-week Bay City Church Sermon Series on the Book of Philippians. To learn more about us, visit baycity.church. Let me ask you a really basic but also very difficult question all at once. What is the gospel? What is the gospel? Just answer the question right out of yourself. Go ahead. Okay. Did you do it? What is the gospel? If someone approached you and asked you this question, put a microphone in your face and said, what is the gospel? Now, you don't have to be a Christian to answer this question. What is it? What would you say? Think about that for a second, because I've heard many different definitions about what they think the gospel is. For a word that Christians hear all of the time, it gets many different definitions, and it's almost difficult to define for a lot of people. Now, many of people have actually said the gospel is a way that you live. Gospel is a way you live. It makes life better, it's a way of life, it's a way you have chosen. it's a path you've chosen that you can walk down and discover. Right? That's, that's what a lot of people have said. For some people, it's many books of the Bible. Right, They're, The gospel is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's a book. You know, you don't have to go to seminary to know that. That's what it is. For others, gospel is a, a category of Grammy they give out. And yes, they do give out gospel best gospel album, best gospel sa- uh, song. They give those out every year. So it's a, for you, maybe gospel is a type of music. And for some, the gospel is information. That's what it is. And the truth is, the gospel is information. You see the gospel, the word gospel means the good news. Before it is any of those things, before it is a way of life, a brand of music, before it's any of those things, it is news. The news that Jesus Christ comes into the world, lives a perfect life because humanity wrecked the world. Jesus was necessary, comes into the world, lives that perfect life, so perfect in fact we kill him dies this death, crucified by Roman soldiers and by Jews, and then resurrects, defeating death, saying that whoever would believe in him would have eternal life. That is the message of the gospel. Now, some people might say that the gospel is actually a a, a spirituality that helps people cope with reality. That in fact, and maybe you believe this, in fact, uh, the gospel is actually a spirituality you choose to help you make sense of your life, but there are, it is only one way, one path on a myriad of other paths that can help me choose my path. In fact, this is one of the things one of my closest friends said to me when I first became a Christian. They basically said, you know, that's why you tell people about Jesus. You share the gospel because it, it, you believe it will actually benefit their lives. That's why. But it'll benefit their lives, some of their lives, and it might benefit yours, but it doesn't benefit everybody's life. Well, here's what I said back, and here's what I think we all need to hear we don't preach the gospel because it's helpful. We preach it because it's true. We don't preach the gospel because it's helpful. We preach it because it's true. Now, if something is true, we don't disbelieve it all of a sudden when a crisis hits. We don't, an earthquake doesn't happen and go, you know what, I'm just, all of my facts are up in order. This color used to be blue, but now to me, it's green. Uh, It's just all my facts are different now. We don't change facts. We don't change truths because crisis hits. And if the truth remains true in crisis or suffering, like we're in right now, that means we can still advance the truth even through that crisis. In this passage, Paul is writing a letter after being in prison for many years, by the way. He shares a weirdly and surprisingly positive message about his circumstances, which no one was expecting, and that his circumstances don't hinder the gospel message. And he actually moves the gospel forward even from being behind bars, something it seems really hard to do. Now, in this passage we learn that there are four questions we should ask ourselves to determine how we can advance the gospel even in times of the coronavirus crisis. So, what are the questions we need to ask ourselves if we wanna move this gospel forward even from our living room? First question, is my perspective temporary or is it eternal? Is my perspective on the world temporary or eternal? You know, we know when we look at the potential conflict or circumstance, our perspective has everything to do about it. Of course it does. Let's look at the stock market, for example. Now, the stock market is not doing so hot right now. And if you have a 401k or any investments, I don't have to tell you unless you've got 100% of your stock in Purell or Lysol, your stock market is not doing super well, right? Or your stocks aren't doing super well, right? Now, if you have a three to six month outlook on the stock market, I can tell you one thing. You are in crisis mode. Or if you're someone in your 70s or 80s who's actually relying on dividends and stocks to pay you right now, you are in crisis mode. Why? Because your perspective on the stock market is short term. But if you're a 22-year-old and you're just getting in the stock market and you're investing and you have a 401k, your point of view actually is probably a 40 or 50-year perspective, long-term. And so as you see the stock market go into recession, you may be thinking, stocks are actually getting cheap. Because over the long term, I'm getting a discount on some stocks for 30 or 40%, and I can purchase them, and I know that they're going to continue to go up at the stock market average of 7, 8, 9, 10, or 11% over the course of 42 years, even with a down year like we're experiencing. Perspective is everything. Now, it would have been easy for Paul to look at his perspective in his life and be devastated. Imagine if Paul had looked at his life over a two-year span. Well, in AD sixty. Prison, AD 61, prison, AD 62, prison. If I had a two-year outlook on Paul's life, I would say, not good. But Paul, if he looks at his life over an eternity, not just a lifetime, but an eternity, he can see how his years in prison were actually beneficial to the grand scheme of life. Look at verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me really has served to advance the gospel. So let's just take this at face value. The Philippians are getting this letter, and they're worried for Paul. The last time they saw him was a few years ago. He started to help start their church 10 years earlier. He heard Paul, They heard Paul was headed to Rome. They heard maybe he was in a shipwreck. Was he safe? Was he arrested? Was he in physical danger? Was he dead? They actually didn't know. And so they open the scroll, possibly, understand, possibly about to get bad news. And one of the first things they read is, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me really has served to advance the gospel. They're like, what? How is this possible? I thought we're going to get bad news. It turns out that Paul is experiencing bad news and is still saying that this is a good thing for him. Now, prison had to be rough, but it gave him opportunities to minister, even in the midst of hardship, more life saved the conversations that Paul thought he was gonna be having in Rome in front of thousands of people listening in, he was having an audience of one with a prisoner or a guard in a locked cell that maybe advanced the gospel in their life. Now in in this weird season of locked down for you or economic disruption or life disruption, God may be trying to use your situation to advance the gospel through you. Will you allow him to? Consider this moment right now permission to be on mission, to use your phone, your Zoom account, your Skype account, your FaceTime to be able to communicate the gospel to your friends and families and neighbors. Friends and family right now who might never go to church would be willing to join your small group, your city group, or Watch a sermon online or watch this right now. Maybe some of you right now are watching this and you're like, my friend sent me this weird dude on a video. I'm going to check it out. I don't know what's going to happen. And you're sitting here because someone trusted that God could use it. If you have eternal perspective, even if there's a short-term hiccup with a friendship or relationship, the eternal perspective is that someone might get saved and get to know Jesus. Second question we need to ask ourselves, What is your suffering for? Now, anytime we experience hardship like the coronavirus or a, a serious uh, hardship like death or loss of a job, we have an opportunity to ponder why bad things happen. You probably have asked that question. You may have said, why, God, would you do this to me? Or maybe you've even said, I don't know, Lord, why is the suffering of the world happening? Why is the oceans rising? Why is, uh, why is climate change A thing? Why are guns in the world a thing? Why is death, murder, destruction a thing? Paul undoubtedly must have been asking himself the same question. What is my suffering for? Now, I don't know if you've known anyone that's gone to jail, but I have, and I can tell you, that among the first days you're in jail, particularly if it's a long sentence, are among the hardest. Paul must have been questioning what the heck is going on with my life. But here's what his response was. What is my suffering for? Verse 13, as a result, Paul says, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard, everyone near him, everyone who's in charge in the city, and everyone else, that I am suffering, I am in chains for Christ. Paul was undoubtedly shaped by his time in prison, but he was able to say, it's it's pretty clear to everybody around here that I am suffering for Jesus. COVID, coronavirus, has brought us all to grips with the temporary nature of life, our jobs, and culture. 16 million people filed for unemployment. 22 million people now have been filed for unemployment. The jobless rates are skyrocketing right now. People are dying. 20,000, 30,000 people have passed away. 40,000 people have passed away. Coronavirus, we're seeing the temporal nature of this world temporary things friends will always go away but eternal things will last forever so let me ask you are you making an eternal impact with your temporary life or are you so focused in on the hardships of your temporary that you haven't made any impact at all and for my non-Christian friends my friends that are watching that I've invited to watch this I love you And I'm glad you're watching this, I really am. But without God, your suffering is cruel, senseless, and purposeless. Without God, your suffering, and all suffering, is cruel, senseless, and purposeless. Because without God, you are just merely stardust bumping into stardust. You are merely... Um, You're merely biological reactions and chemistry reacting together in a mere purposeless uh, universe, and you are a gazillion to million to one chance that you're even here. And the reality is you're a small blip on the universal scale, and you will one day die and cease to exist. It's terrible. But with a good, right, and perfect God, your suffering has ultimate meaning. It is not worthless. It is not invaluable. And God brings about that suffering through the will of himself, and he works all things together for the according, according to the purpose of his will. And if God is good, then his will is good for us, even if it means that there is suffering through humanity. Now, for my believing friends, my friends at Bay City, my Christian brothers and sisters, What is your suffering, your imprisonment for? Why are you going through this right now? Why are you trapped in your living room watching a sermon online? Why? Are you using your suffering for Christ? Are you using the COVID-19 outbreak for Christ? Or is your lockdown, your shelter in place in vain? Is it being squandered away through self-medication Wastefulness and self actualization and selfishness. Now, please don't feel guilt tripped. That's not what I'm trying to do. In fact, I think this is a tremendous opportunity for us all. Reading a book about spirituality of the early saints, I saw the saints, early Christians, for those of you that know, know call martyrdom, that's when you die on behalf of God, a gift. In fact, they referred to it, they said, I was blessed with the gift of martyrdom, some people would say in their biography, or they would say, I'm unfortunate and sad to say that I was not gifted, gifted with the gift of martyrdom. They counted it as a gift to suffer on behalf of God because they knew they had an eternal perspective and that their suffering would advance the gospel in this world and move them towards glory with Jesus in the next life, a gift, a gift. Now, don't you see you've been given a profound gift? Don't you see that your suffering even now is actually a gift from God to advance the gospel forward? Friends, you are not here sitting right here wherever you are by accident. You are fulfilling a divine appointment set by God himself for this time, for such a time as this, for the purpose of advancing the gospel. Okay. What other questions do we need to ask ourselves? When people, number three, when people look at your life, what do they see? What are people, as we look at your lives, what are we going to see? A good way to know if you're living a gospel life is to ask the people around you how they receive you. If you can ask your closest friends who are not believers maybe, let's say, if you're a Christian, how they receive you and they don't say anything about Christianity or even Jesus, then we know you're not making a gospel impact. And if they only mention Jesus to you and that you've been overwhelming and perhaps rude about it, we know you're also not making a gospel impact. Paul, verse 14, this is his impact. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul didn't merely serve a prison sentence. He made an impact. Now, I thought a lot about this word impact, and I actually remember a really bad 90s movie that I used to watch that I loved as a kid called Deep Impact. In the movie, don't go watch it. Well, maybe you could. You have a lot of time on your hands. It's about, it's got Morgan Freeman. It's about uh, comets coming towards the Earth. And so the government somehow builds this underground bunker where a lottery system would determine who goes in. But the main part of all of this, and what's important for this, is that The comets collide with the earth. They make an impact. And it causes this catastrophic tsunami that like wipes out all of New York. And it like knocks off the head of Lady Liberty. It's quite hilarious when you watch it in 2020. I did. This word impact means this. The action of one object coming forcibly into contact with another. You see, Paul's life forcibly comes into contact with those around him, and they have no choice but to explore this guy, Jesus. They have no choice. I was like, I gotta see who this guy is. Are you making that sort of impact? Who is looking at your life and gaining confidence in their own faith because of it? Who is looking around going, man, that guy has a walk. That girl has a walk with Jesus that I just need to get to understand. Or I don't know about that Jesus you preach or whatever, but you're telling me there's hope, and I gotta explore it. Who's saying that? Who's being encouraged and motivated by their faith as a result of looking at your faith? Don't be shy. One believer can impact hundreds and thousands of people. Do not underestimate God's desire to change people around you and the way they do life by a message that you speak. Don't be shocked. And last question, we need to ask ourselves, how are you experiencing joy even when circumstances are against you? How are you experiencing joy? Paul gives us another scenario where he experiences hardship, another one. And it's not just prison that is bugging him, okay? Because he is in jail, but what else? Verse 15, some indeed preach Christ from envy, rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ, rather, out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in prison. Now it's not clear exactly who Paul is talking about right here, it's probably likely other Christians who are at odds with Paul in some way. Christian leaders were dismissing Paul because of perhaps his speaking ability or perhaps because he was always suffering. And they thought that no, suffering is not congruent with the Christian faith. Whatever the rationale, we know from this text that their preaching was not done out of love, but it was done to be better than Paul in some way to get back at him. How do you experience joy? when people are against you, when you're doing God's work. Here's what Paul did. He dove deep with allies and shook off the detractors. Dive deep with allies, shake off detractors. Go deeper with people who love you and encourage you and speak hard truths in your life. Some people will say that if someone speaks harshly at you that you need to get rid of the haters, that's not true. If someone speaks harsh, hard to you, but they speak a hard truth in love because they care about you, That is among the best criticism to receive. And then you need to shake off your detractors. People that dislike you for no reason, they harm you and are angry with you and criticize you for no reason, and even if they have good reasons but then they do it in a really terrible way, you need to shake those people off. Do not let other people steal your joy. And if others are capable of stealing your joy, then they were the keepers of your joy in the first place. And there is just no way around it. If your joy is placed with those people, then they can take it from you. But if it was placed with Jesus, they have no power over it. How does Paul respond to all the hating? Verse 18. He says, What then? Only that in every way, whether in in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Paul says, even if they hated me and preached about Jesus just to get back at me, I could care less because Jesus was preached. Now that takes some next level spirituality. Paul is essentially saying, all I care about it is that Jesus has been made famous, amen. Paul was preoccupied with Jesus' name, not his own. Now you may not be being ridiculed or hated like Paul is right now, but Paul's message is clear regardless of whether or not you're being hated. Whatever the circumstances, whether it's people or COVID, we rejoice when Jesus is being made famous. We rejoice. We are called to have Jesus in the center of our lives. And here's a quote from Brad Bigney, an author. He says, when the gospel loses center stage, your spiritual immune system shuts down, leaving you susceptible to a myriad of spiritual illnesses. Christ must be at the center. I want joy for you. In this season, not happiness, not jealousy, but true authentic joy that only comes from Jesus. A joy, an internal joy that cannot be affected by COVID, by by detractors, or by anything. Let's pray.